Our Jesus is a warrior. Revelation is the revealing of Jesus. from Ezekiel is Satan himself. It's actually a war of worlds. How many of you are familiar with where this started? I, did, I had to research. Was it the turn of the century? You may know who originally wrote War of the Worlds? H.G. Wells. Good job, Miss Joan! It's up there, yes? And then for some of us, this who played in War of the Worlds here recently when it was remade? Tom Cruise. I was going to show a video of this, but it's pretty, pretty violent. <laughs> I was like, ah, there isn't a safe 20-second clip out there. But it is a war of the worlds. When you woke up this morning, when you looked at the alarm clock and you're trying to decide if you can get the coffee maker to work or whatever your morning ritual is, Robbie, of getting the next monster drink, did you think there's a spiritual war going on right now? We get lulled into thinking that what I see is what I see, and that is the real part. Revelation, where we're going to be this morning, kind of breaks the veil and lets us see behind it of the spiritual war that's going on. There is actually a war of worlds going on and has been going on. So this morning we have to see which one of these two kingdoms do we serve? Which one will you be accomplice for? Which one will you sign up for? Which one will you be active for? And Revelation this morning will be split into chapters 12 and into chapters 13. The first part is the king's battle. It re Revelation is going to reveal in chapter 12 that there is a king who is our warrior and he has already been in the battle. And then 13, we'll go to part two. We'll see the wannabe king and is wannabe court. So turn to Revelation chapter 12 first off when we look at the king's battle. Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Page 875 in your story Bible. Does anybody need a story Bible this morning? So we're on page 875. Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that, she, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for him in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, salvation, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came up to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and to those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The king is battling. Your first reaction to this is, wow, that's a lot going on. See, if you move all the way back in your Bible, Genesis 3, God created. There's Adam and Eve. And Satan, Adam and Eve sin. What is the promise that God gives Eve right then and there? From you shall become a child who will crush Satan's head. Satan was there and he heard that. So if you're Satan and you know from Eve comes a child, what do you want to do to this kid? If you know you're going to have to battle him someday, what is your goal in life? Kill the baby. So you have Jesus, Satan, Adam, and Eve all there. At that moment, Satan knew that Eve would give birth to his enemy. The devil and his fallen angels declare war on what comes from her. We will kill this baby. Now, I want you to consider this. Who announces to the shepherds that Jesus is born? Huh? Angels. Now, we've been studying Revelation. Angels aren't necessarily choir members with robes, with halos. How have they been effective in Revelation in our study? They're not milk toast. How would you describe them? Remember, God says, go and do this, and a third of the world dies. Go and do this, and they just get it done. Think for a second that when Jesus is born, Satan knows that there's a baby to be born. Could the, those who announced Jesus' birth also been there as guardians for that baby? Pull the veil back on the Christmas story. The baby is born. Angels announce this to the shepherds. Who else heard this? More than likely. The enemy who's been waiting on this announcement. Wouldn't that be an awesome nativity scene? You got the angels up here with your little candle, and they're announcing to the shepherds and all this. Then you pull the little curtain back, and you got this massive war going on in the background. The baby's announced, 
There's a war going on. The angels are sent, take care of that baby. But as illustrated in our text today, God has always taken care of Israel, but she typically runs away from him. You open up your Bible and you start looking through God's love story with the nation of Israel. How well did she respond to his courting? Not so well. But he's always protected her. Israel. Satan wants to hunt her down. You've got this dragon, wants to consume her, gets mad at her. What images are used in your scripture this morning for how God protected her? Uses the earth. The dragon puts out a flood to come and get her. He uses the earth to swallow it up. Behind the scenes, when you're reading First and Second Kings, when you're going through Chronicles, when you're like, hey, there's this story of Israel that takes up the majority of the Bible you hold in your hand. What is going on? There's a celestial chessboard going on. God is moving the pieces around. Whether they be people, kings, rulers, nations, and armies. They're being moved around on a celestial chessboard. The pieces, those bought with the blood of the Lamb, are living out their faith to conquer Satan. When Satan is cast from out of heaven, what was heaven's response? Because we know from the book of Job that Satan shows up one day, and we're all, you ever ever scratch your head at the book of Job and said, who ever allowed Satan in there? And he says, what about Job? He's following you really well. You're only doing that because he's rich. God says, okay, just don't hurt him. So he does it. Takes everything away from him. And he comes back and Satan accuses Job and says, hey, this guy is only following you because he has his health. He says, okay, you can take his health, but just don't kill him. Then the rest of the story of Job, we have those characters in the book of Job have no idea that this conversation has happened in heaven. And Job did not once demands an audience with God. And what's God's response to him at the end of Job? Who are you to ask me? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The book of Job illustrates where God and Satan have been at this battle. What is Job's entire role in the book? And he doesn't have a clue what's told in the text. Illustrate to the angelic host, yes, this is my faithful servant. God's response to Job is, do I have the right to rule in your life to evidence my story through you even if you don't know why? So the rest of the angels are in heaven. They've seen Job and this thing go on. When Satan come in, God says, you're out of here. We've had enough of you. What is the response of the angelic host in heaven from our text this morning? A going away party. Yes! But then they know, uh-oh, he's going to be on earth. And what do they say? Oh, that's not going to be good for you. Because Satan's mad. And what does he know about the timeline? He knows it's going to be short. So he's been on a mission since being kicked out. And we learned today that the battle is spiritual. 
What we see, what we notice, what we call real, what scientists go through the laws and say, here's what's got to happen next. There is more to life than that. There's actually a spiritual battle going on, and it's in the background. The battle isn't just earthly. Our warrior king is currently battling with his angels something that's going on. Because you see, after the battle with Michael, the Satan, the professional full-time accuser, is cast out of heaven. But when he's cast out, when Satan loses the battle, it illustrates God's power, his salvation, and his kingdom rule. He's got the power to do it. He owns heaven, and it's his kingdom. And when Satan lost the battle, it illustrated Jesus' authority. Now, I want you to move your fingers to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. All of this is going on we have this little verse in here. And they have conquered him by the blood. Who are the they in the text? The followers of Jesus. Who's the him? Who's the battle against? Satan? Okay. Let's work through the text. How did they conquer Satan? Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, and what? What's the next phrase? Their word or their testimony. Listen, friends. We conquer Satan because we believe in Jesus and because we put our faith into action. little verse right in the middle of all of this warfare going on. We will conquer Satan by the blood of Jesus and by our testimony. Whose word of our testimony? Those people who are watching us. So in the middle of this spiritual warfare that we don't get to see a lot of, I don't know how many of you have had an experience like Elisha where we rolled the scene back and like, oh my goodness, there's chariots of fire around here to defend us. But who is watching us? Not only the angelic host, but our neighbors. The word of our testimony. Yes, you have a relationship with Jesus. And the important part in this warfare is who is watching you on the battlefield? The coworkers, the neighbors, the kids, friends, enemies. Does conquering Satan in our text so far mean that life will be easy? What is the typical outcome in Revelation for following Jesus thus far? How, how much suffering? Dead. Tombstone sales. Really? If, we could, if there's a church that's going to do good selling things in this time of Revelation, it's going to be selling tombstones. There's a lot of death going on. So there's a battle raging, being led by our warrior king, in which the participants for the warrior are going to die. Who would have ever written a novel like that 
and said, here's the good story. Friends, there is a battle going on to which we do not necessarily perceive and which we play a part today. God says, follow me. Have faith in me. Follow me to what that means by reaching your neighbors, by talking to people, by proclaiming to me, proclaiming me to them. I want to see your faith in action. Your neighbors see, need to see your faith in action. That's how you conquer Satan. So as followers of Jesus, we know that we may not literally see what's happening around us. But can you open your eyes this morning to think of the possibility that that which we do see are the after effects of a spiritual warfare going on? We just see the effects of it. Our good king reigns, and we must submit to his authority in telling his story, not ours. It's his story of grace, redemption, and judgment, and of coming wrath. Can you serve a Savior like that? Can you serve a warrior king who's battling in the spiritual realm when you don't have many of the details? And the details we're studying this morning shall someday come about. Can you serve your king with an act of faith in your community this week to play the part of, yes, I believe in Jesus and now my actions are a testimony to anybody watching. Because Jesus wants your life to declare your relationship to him, to a physical world, and to what? A spiritual world. So that's the war of the world. That's the war of the worlds where the king is battling Revelation 12. Now let's move to the wannabe king and his court. Because if Jesus has set up his court and his kingdom rule and his battle with Satan is going to evidence that to a world too, little spoiler alert, somebody's going to try to emulate that. Jesus has set up his rule. Satan gets kicked down, kicked down to earth. What do you think Satan is going to try to establish on earth? The same thing. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horns, and blasphemous names on, his head, on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it's opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written 
before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13. The wannabe Christ. Satan plays the role of father and gives his son his throne, his power, and his authority. Satan even raises him up from having a mortal wound. Does this sound familiar? The first beast is the Antichrist. What happens to the Antichrist that makes everybody marvel? He was mortally wounded, and now he's back to life. One thing about Satan is he's not very creative. This isn't rewriting the script. But then he gives his authority to the Antichrist in public's full, full, full view. So the whole earth marvels. What did they do then? He gives his power to them. So the followers start doing what of the Antichrist? Become his disciples. Does this sound a bit familiar? Jesus and God have done the same thing, haven't they? The Antichrist's main goal is to exercise authority in speaking horribly about God. Against God's name, His reputation, His dwelling place, and everything that exists in heaven. Now, as in chapter 12, a war continues, and he literally takes arms up. Who's he want to kill? Followers of Jesus. Why? Why does Satan want the Antichrist to work in lives of people so they kill followers of Jesus? Is it because they don't look good? Because they don't pay their taxes? What is the motivation of killing followers of Jesus? Remember, Satan is replicating everything about Jesus and God. I, he would say, I hate anything that reflects God. What does Jesus ask us to do in our communities? Evidence to our wor world that we reflect Jesus. Anything on the earth at this time that reflects Jesus, he wants to kill. It isn't necessarily about them, it's reflecting God. The Antichrist will rule over every kingdom on earth. I don't know how this is going to play out. How in the world are you going to get one person to rule over Saudi Arabia and Israel and the United States all at the same time? I have no idea. I'm not even here to answer that. But look at the power. In our news, just think about this. Who are we going to elect voluntarily to lead the world under one government, and we love him. He gets elected to all of this. The Antichrist is not necessarily, when it comes to looking at him, he takes over this power voluntarily. It's given to him. Jesus has declared, I rule, I am the king. 
What does Satan want to do on earth? I rule. I'm the king. I will show you all. And everyone worships him. Now, move your finger to verse 8. You ready to do some thinking? All of these things are true because God says they will happen. The Antichrist mission will have this. Everyone will rule. Everyone under his rule will worship the Antichrist. Except who? Huh? Okay, that's good. That's not what the, look at your text. Look at your text. This is hard. Pastor Michael just, just rubbed the back of his head, his forehead. He's like, oh, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has, who has not been written before the foundation of the world in what? Huh? The book of life. Okay. Before creation, before this story ever began, there's a book. And it, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit sat down, and they said, okay, this is what's going to happen. Right. Okay, let's get a book. Let's write down everybody's names that's going to eventually follow me. There's Tom and Sarah Partee. Well, we erased the... That's the, now they're married, and that's a party. Okay, we go that. There's Jesse and Michael Lockstand Four from the loins of... They, they're writing this all down. There's Robbie and Rachel. You know, they're writing these names down. When are they writing them down? Before creation. In the midst of all this crazy battling stuff, everyone worships the Antichrist except who? The names written in that book before the story began. How did God know? I don't know. He does. How does this work out? I don't know. He does. The king is going to do this battle to illustrate to the world that he is ruler. And those who are killed during this time for not worshiping the Antichrist, for not succumbing to the peer pressure that's going to increase as we go through the text today, their names were written down before the story ever began, before Genesis 1. Do you like that? Or does it frustrate you? Do you like the fact that God has your name before the foundation of the earth to say, I know they're going to be a follower of me? Good. Or do you like the fact, or you, does it frustrate you to say, how does he know that? Who's he to rule over my destination like that? I'm going to let you stew in it. I want you to think about this. In our text this morning, God thought it would be good for us as we went through this to know that they won't worship the Antichrist because God wrote it down before the foundation of the earth. It doesn't say that they're good at what they do. They got an extra dose of not following the Antichrist during this time. One thing is for sure, it illustrates our kings got this. But we serve him that's got it to this point. 
Everyone worships the Antichrist except those whose names God wrote down prior to creation. So back to the big story. The wannabe Christ. Who set him there? Satan did. How good is he at his job? Really, really good. So let's move on to continue with this court. Verse 11, chapter 13. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortar wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it also caused all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its, of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the, its number of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, so we have the wannabe Christ. Now we have the wannabe spirit. The false prophet is the false spirit. He uses his power to evoke worship of the Antichrist. He has the power to perform great signs and miracles like calling down fire so people can see it. He has the power to make a statue or an image. So sometime in the future, wherever the Antichrist is, they will make a statue of him. And the false prophet will go up to this statue and say, Come alive, like a Frankenstein movie. And it does. And if people don't worship it, they are killed. And he marks people for economic trade. Does this sound familiar? Who is it today that enables us to worship Jesus, the Christ? Who is it that brought fire down both on the old, when the Old Testament law was given and at the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works. It does His signs and wonders. And what He does is so we are enabled to worship Jesus. Now, how many of you are very familiar with the Mark of the Beast being 666? It's like nobody wants to park on 666 Avenue or you don't even see it. Is this the first time in the study of Revelation that people have been marked? Revelation 7. Good job, Miss Sue. God marks Israel specially and says, these are my people. There's 144,000 of them. 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. God marks them. Those are mine. So what does the false spirit do? Hey, you want to worship us and you want to trade economically, you want to be able to go to Walmart and buy things, you need this number. 
It's replicating what God has already done. Satan is kicked out of heaven and sent down to earth. So what does he establish? A kingdom. Who rules the kingdom? The Antichrist. How is the Antichrist worship? The false prophet comes along and works the part of the unholy spirit. It's just a wannabe trinity. How well does this sell? Pretty good. The whole world goes for this. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was studying this, I'm like, wait a second, God. Okay, I'll wrestle with the whole names in the book before the world began. All right. But I don't like this part. Satan is cast to earth, and he does ex- wants to be just like God. Sets up an unholy trinity, and it sounds like gangbusters. Like, what? Why doesn't this, the real deal sell well today? Then I'm bought, brought back to this entire idea of what these two chapters are about. There's a spiritual war going on. Da-da! Satan doesn't want this to go well. We don't necessarily like this to go well. So after battling God in heaven, Satan goes on a rampage on the earth attempting to destroy Israel, a baby, and followers of Jesus. He hates anything that resembles or reflects God. The great deceiver does what? He get his name honestly, the great deceiver, by replicating the Trinity and deceives the entire world into thinking that's the best thing since sliced bread. This morning we get a glimpse of what it's going to look like in the future, but we also get a glimpse of what it looks like in our world today when the spiritual warfare is going on. Church, let's meet our king. It's the same king, our warrior king. Let's serve him who watches over us. Respond to his invitation by submitting to him and to join the ranks of his army to proclaim his rule to our neighbors and friends. If we know we're serving a king that rules like this in the end times, how do we serve him today? What does that mean? What does that look like? Recognize that there's a spiritual and a physical battle. This literally is a war of worlds. So church, we have to understand that the spiritual war has been going on, and it continues to this day, and it will continue into when the times of revelation come about. That's why we read this morning Ephesians 5. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, by the way, what's bad around you is not a matter of what you see. It's a battle of what? Spiritual war. Spiritual darkness. So then what? Put on the armor and stand firm. Take your place on the field. Take up those ingredients of what Paul says to the Ephesian church. But take your spot on the battleground. 
And we have to serve that warrior king. We must. But must. We, the local church. As Pastor Michael wisely stated this morning, every time in the short duration that we've been gathering like this, when we talk about spiritual warfare, it looks like, yes, it's going on. And we get frustrated as a pastoral team when we show up on Sunday, and it's like, man, everybody's like, yeah, guys. And each time we're like, come on, what's going on? Oh, yeah, we're preaching on spiritual warfare. So as we go into tomorrow, as a local church, there are needs in the local church that we need to come around and help those people. There are needs reaching into our community. We need to submit to the King that we've been revealed to us this morning and proclaim Him. So what part will we play? We've just heard this sermon on what's going on. Now what? We've got some things coming. Easter and Mother's Day. There's a group of people gathering together to come up with an idea on how we're going to do this as a local church. Pray for that team. They're doing a pretty good job. But here's the ask. They're going to ask you to participate. Are you okay with that? What part will we play as a church in God writing His story in this zip code of Ocala, in your neighborhood, and my neighborhood, and your neighborhood, to reveal this King? Let us pray.